have your Bible with you, if you got a microphone, I'll turn that on, there we go. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn, open up to the book of Ecclesiastes, that's where we've been for three weeks now, we're going to have our fourth week, we're going to start moving faster after this, we're going to um, finish up the second chapter today, we've done two sermons in chapter one, two sermons in chapter two, and now coming up, we're going to start rolling a little bit faster and almost going through a chapter a week as we get through the rest of this book as summer approaches and we go through summer. So looking forward to it. Uh, if you haven't been here, uh, the, the, the kind of main idea that we started with, because it's the main idea that the author of Ecclesiastes started with, the author, by the way, of the book of Ecclesiastes refers to himself as the preacher, and so that's how we refer to him as well. And he really started out by saying this, life under the sun seems meaningless. And so he's been on this search to see, well, what would make it less meaningless? We don't want to live a meaningless life, so what would make it less meaningless? And he tried out, maybe if I just knew more stuff, if I just grew in knowledge and wisdom, then life would seem less meaningless, and that didn't work. And so then he looked to, well, maybe just doing something that would make me really, really happy. If I just found stuff that, that could help me to enjoy myself, maybe then life would seem less meaningless. And so he tried all sorts of stuff. Alcohol, sex, building stuff, buying stuff, but in the end none of that made life seem any less meaningless either. And it seems like a pretty pessimistic book as you read through it and as I preach through it. Today, we're going to come hear him come right out and say maybe one of the darkest things that he says in the whole book. He's going to say in today's passage, I hate life. Okay, that's pretty dark. That's pretty bleak. And so we're going to ask some questions ourselves then. Questions like, so is that okay? Is it okay to say that you hate life? Another question, what's the point of living wisely or working hard if everyone dies anyway? Those are the kind of questions that he's going to have us wrestle with as we go through the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 this morning. Now, while the majority of the passage does seem very bleak and dark, we are going to see also at the end of chapter 2, the first time in this book that we've really seen a little glimmer of hope. And it's going to come at the end of chapter 2. And as we've done throughout this series, we're also going to turn to the rest of Scripture because we're in a different situation than the author of Ecclesiastes was. The way in which our situation is different is we live on the other side of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and we would be foolish to not see everything through the lens of the reality of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Right? And so we're going to look at some other scripture at the end that I think will encourage us and push us. Lots of application again in the passage today. And once again, in your bulletin, there's not only an outline, but an application guide that gives you an opportunity to ask yourself some questions throughout the week, to talk with somebody else through some questions throughout the week, and if you're a parent, to talk with your kids uh, through some questions in the week. And so that's in your bulletin as well. But if you're able to, why don't you stand and we'll read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in, verses, in verse 12 and going to the end of the chapter. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Let me actually pray first. 
Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks and great praise that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. I thank you that you have given we who trust in Christ, your Holy Spirit, to dwell in us, to illuminate your word and to shine a light even into the dark places of our hearts. So to the degree that we need conviction this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and convict us. To the degree that we need this morning encouragement, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us encouragement this morning. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 12. God's word says this, So, I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who comes after the king only what has already been done? Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, just as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the, for of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Let's be seated. So, three points this morning as you see in your bulletin. First one is this, I hate life. Wise people die and foolish people die. That's verses 12 to 17. That's how I would sum it up. Very blunt again. And he starts out in verse 12 by saying things that he said before. He's already said this a couple times in the book where he says, so, remember he's, he's trying stuff out. He tried out knowing stuff. He's like, ah, oh, that didn't work. He tried out enjoying himself. Well, that didn't work. And now he's saying, I'm going back to the same spot I've been before. You ever done that like with your keys? You lost your keys 
and you've checked everywhere, and you've gone back to the same spot like three times. You know they're not there, but you think that that's where they should be. So I'm going to go check there again, right? And that's kind of what he's doing here. It's like, I'm going to go check again. Uh, so, so he said, so I turned again and considered wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king only what's already been done? I know I've checked there before. But I'm going to go check that out again because I think somehow the answer is going to be found in knowing wisdom and madness and folly, and then life is going to make a lot more sense. That's what he says in verse 12. Verse 13, he says this, Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. Now this sounds kind of positive. This sounds more like it came out of the book of Proverbs, doesn't it? It's like everything so far has been so right? But here he's saying, listen, here's what's true. I saw there's more gain in wisdom than in folly. Just as there's more gain in light than in darkness. He's like, it is better to be wise than to be foolish. I figured that much out. There's more gain to be had in wisdom than in folly and more gain in light than in darkness. Verse 14, the wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Now, he doesn't tell us yet what that event will be. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Remember, he's very wise. He's saying, but listen, the same thing that happens to foolish people, it's going to happen to me. Why then have I been so very wise? All this work that I've put into gaining knowledge and growing in wisdom, what's the point of it? And so he says in his heart, this also is vanity. What's the point? Verse 16 is going to tell us what happens to both the wise and the foolish. Verse 16, for of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten, how the wise dies just like the fool. Right? So that's the event that happens to both of them. Some people, he says, choose to live very wisely, and guess what happens to them? They die. And some people live their life very foolishly. And guess what happens to them? They die. Well, that's vanity. That's meaningless. What's the point then of living? And people just forget about them. Right? And so, you know, you think about that. Um, You think about the fact that you got to think about the fact that we're going to die. Right? One of, one of the movies that I used to like to watch a lot was this movie called What About Bob? Have you seen that movie, What About Bob? Um, old movie. Uh, and, uh, and the little kid in the movie, he likes to philosophize about things. So he's laying in a bedroom, and it's dark, and Bob's in the same bedroom in a different bed. And he says to Bob, he says, I'm going to die. You're going to die. There's no way out of it. He's just like this, like, so it's just like this little, but he's thinking about it. Like, he's thinking, like, that is true, right? That, that at some point, we are all going to die. We might be old, we might be young, we might be really healthy at that time, we might not be very healthy, but the reality is, which the author of Ecclesiastes notices, is that everybody, wise or foolish, is going to die at some point. You might spend your life making really wise choices. You always wear your seatbelt. You wear a helmet when you ride. Some of you would say, uh, argue with me on that, whatever. Um, 
You avoid tobacco and alcohol. You sleep for eight hours every night. You never go to McDonald's. You exercise, and you eat lots of leafy green vegetables, and then in the end you die, right? Or, or, or you're foolish, right? You don't ever wear a seatbelt. You don't ever wear a helmet. You abuse your body. You're addicted to all sorts of things. You sit on the couch eating Doritos and Oreos watching TV till 2 a.m. You don't sleep much. You smoke like a chimney. You might even live longer than a wise person, but in the end, you're going to die too, right? And so he's just looking at it like he's just observing life. Under the sun, that's the way it works. That's what the author of Ecclesiastes keeps doing. He's just looking at life. Hey, that's the way it works. Some people wise, some people foolish. In the end, wise people, foolish people all die. And his conclusion is not very hopeful. Verse 17, so I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. Listen, we've seen grievous under the sun, vanity, striving after wind. We've seen those before, but we haven't heard this strong statement, so I hated life. So I'm studying this week, and and I'm just thinking, so is that okay? Like, for him to say this, is this okay? Or, or if you're at a spot in life, is that okay for you to just look at life and say, I hate life? Some of you might feel that right now. Some of you, like, some of you, you're far from that right now. And so it seems, but we got to recognize as we've got brothers and sisters in Christ that are going through tough times. And they can look at life sometimes. And you look at life, I think about that. I don't know why it's when I'm driving, but I think about that sometimes when I'm driving. I'll be driving, and most of the time I'm just happy. But there have been times when I'm not. There have been times when I'm just looking at everything around me. I don't know, maybe it's because when I'm driving, that's the only time I stop and really think, right? And I just look at everything around me and just think, kind of like the author of Ecclesiastes, this is meaningless. A lot of times I'm really happy, but then because that's always happened in my car, sometimes when I'm driving in my car and I drive past and somebody drives past me, I look at them and I think, I wonder what their life's like today. And we've got to recognize there's probably a lot of people driving around in their cars, at our schools, at our workplaces, that they might put a little smile on their face to, to, to get people off their back, but a lot of times they might be thinking that. I hate life. Hate it. That's what the author of Ecclesiastes says here. You know what I love about Scripture? That that's there. That, 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 um, that there are books like Job and Lamentations, Jeremiah's crying all the time, Habakkuk, Ecclesiastes, a number of the Psalms. Aren't you glad those are in Scripture? I am. And I'm also glad that we have a God that can handle our reactions to life under the sun. Because if we're honest, there is stuff that happens in this world, and we look, and it makes us weary, and it can even get us to the point of just feeling depressed and just all sorts of darkness and it's and that we have a god that we can say that to we can say to him listen i hate life right now today or maybe it's not even a day maybe it's a season that that we have a god who can handle us saying that to him we see that all throughout the psalms we see it right here in ecclesiastes Letting him know, listen, it's hard. There's stuff that God hates about this life under the sun as well. I'm grateful, though, that that's not all that's in Scripture, but I'm grateful that it's there. Right? Second point is this. I hate work. It's like, well, 
Now something hopeful, right? Nope, I hate work too. You might use the word in your translation, toil or labor. But the big idea is this. I work hard, I die, and I leave it all to someone else. And I'm kind of mad about that. Okay? That's what you get in verses 18 through 23. First of all, there's a couple reasons that he hates work. Reason number one to hate work, there's no lasting reward. We see that in these first verses. Reason number one, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. Well, why do you hate it so bad? Well, reason number one, because there's no lasting reward from it. Here's what it says in the rest of that verse and then verse 19. Seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is vanity. And it doesn't stop there. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. He's saying, listen, I've done, I've done a lot of work. Remember all the work that he did? He talked about it earlier in chapter 2. He built gardens. He built houses. He built, all, he built parks. All this stuff he's done. He amassed all sorts of wealth. And guess what? When he dies, he's not taking any of it with him. And he's a little bit upset about that. Because I'm just going to leave it to somebody else. And they might be wise or they might be foolish. But I can tell you one thing. They didn't work for it. I worked to build it. They're going to take my business. They're going to take over my farm. They're going to take over my inheritance. Somebody at the thrift store is going to buy my junk. Somebody's going to come to my estate sale. And it's all gone. What was the point of that? I hate my job. Right? That's, I don't, I'm not saying that. That's what he's saying. I love my job. Right? But that's what he's saying. So, I don't get a long-lasting reward for my work. Second reason to hate work, it's hard and I don't even like it much. It's hard. It makes me tired. It makes me sad sometimes. Verses 22 and 23. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? All his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. It's hard. My work is hard. I can't even stop thinking about work at night, so I can't even sleep well at night. I can't get rest. It's meaningless. He's frustrated. You don't want to have like a job review with this guy the next day when he's thinking all this stuff. Tell you what he really thinks. Right? And so I'm thinking, so, so how do we apply this? I mean, so this is like, Maybe, maybe you had a rough week at work, and this is just not exactly what you wanted to hear on Sunday morning. So you're like, oh, I hate it. Point, hey, and you know what? You're going to work hard, and somebody else is going to take over. They probably won't do as good as you anyway. They're going to take all your stuff. They might be foolish. Have a good week. Uh, <laughs> right? Um, enjoy work. So I was thinking about this. I was thinking, so how do, how do we think about application of this? And this is not something I spend a lot of time thinking about, but I have thought about it. And that is this. Um, so, so every month I have taken out of my check some money to go to save for retirement, right? This is what a lot, of, a lot of us do, trying to plan for the future. And I thought about maybe this passage 
can give us some perspective on retirement. Maybe that's the way we can go with application of this passage. And so I want to look at some perspective on retirement that maybe we can get from this. Again, I'm 35 years old. I'm not, I'm not getting anywhere close to that yet. Some of you are closer than I am. Some of you are past that already. But here's our culture's understanding of retirement. Make the rest of your life the best of your life. Exit here. Get out of whatever you're doing and just go make the rest of your life the best of your life. Okay? That is kind of our culture's attitude when it comes to retirement. And so when I was looking at a passage like this, I'm thinking, okay, so if you're thinking logically and you work hard, you gain all this stuff, and work is hard. It's not always fun. It's hard work, and you work hard to gain all this stuff, and then you give it to somebody else when you die who might not even take care of it that well. So uh, somebody thinking logically might say, well, then, if work is hard, I need to work as hard as I can so I can retire because work is evil, and I need to get done with it as soon as I can, retire as soon as possible, and then since my all my stuff will just go to somebody else, who might not take care of it when I die anyway, I might as well use it all in myself. Right? That's the American perspective on retirement. Get, get it done as soon as possible. Retire as soon as possible. And then spend all of your hard-earned stuff on yourself because you've earned it. And if you have this guy's attitude, it's just going to go to somebody else when you die anyway, so you might as well use it all up. Right? That's the normal perspective, I think, on retirement. But I'm wondering if we ought to have a different perspective on retirement as Christians. Like I said, I don't think a lot about this. I've thought enough about it to to start putting some into an account. I recognize that there could come a day when my health is not as good. There probably will be a day when my health is not as good as it is right now. I may be unable to do the things that I want to do. And I want to make sure that I've saved enough money to to, to, to at least be able to sustain life, right? But here's what I want to, to be the passion that drives me. This is where I see maybe retirement, maybe we should as Christians see retirement as something different than what other people see it as. As long as there are lost people in the world who need to hear the gospel, and as long as there are young believers in the world who need to be discipled, I cannot and will not give my, the rest of my life after a certain point to just doing whatever I want to do. If I can someday be freed up from some of the, the weights of pastoral ministry, and that's maybe best for a church and best for me until I retire from that, I want to continue to use the life that God gives me, whatever health He gives me, whatever money He gives me, for the purpose of making disciples of Jesus Christ. Chuck Swindoll is a, is a pastor. Uh, he's like uh, 81 now. Um, and uh, when he was 75, he was quoted as saying this. One of my great goals in life is to live long enough to where I am in the pulpit, preaching my heart out, and I die on the spot. My chin hits the pulpit. Boom, I'm down and out. What a way to die. I'm for that. I'll do that. I mean, it'd be kind of weird for the rest of you. Uh but, but I love that kind of passion. At the age of 75, he's not saying, listen, I've put in my time. And he wrote books and all sorts of things. He probably could have saved a ton of money, do whatever he wants. He's like, God's given me this gift and this passion, and I want to, maybe yours isn't preaching, 
But has God given you gifts? Has He has He poured into you over time all sorts of wisdom and all sorts of good biblical teaching? And there are lost people out there in the world who need to hear the gospel, and there are young believers who need to be discipled. May we not spend the rest of our lives spending it on ourselves. Is there time for a Sabbath? Like, should you take a Sabbath? Should you take a, a rest during the week? You bet you should. Should you take some vacation time? That's good. We need to recognize that we're limited. But but a kind of long-term Sabbath, um, like a 20-year one where you're really not engaged in like that that's probably not a wise use of the life that God has given us. I've I've, I've actually thought more about retirement probably than a guy my most most guys my age have. Um, and my shaping's been my, my thinking's been shaped um, by a number of different resources. But there's one that was given to me for free, and it's for free uh, for anybody. And so I had a man to print a bunch of them off. So there's a little booklet on the the counter in there. Um, that I encourage you to grab one, and if they're all gone, I'll send it out via email this week too, but it's already printed off there. It's just called Rethinking Retirement, just looking at retirement from a biblical perspective. I think it's helpful. Here's here's one passage that I think should drive the way that we think about retirement as believers and think about a, a number of things as believers. It's Jesus speaking in Mark chapter 8. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I think that would be good if that was what drove us. Okay, but I told you this. I told you that there is, in the end of this passage, a little glimmer of hope. Third point is this, God gives us some things to enjoy. Now, what you'll notice is that verse 26 sounds a lot like what we've seen so far. The last verse of chapter 2 says this, For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. We've seen this kind of thing before, but what's unique about these last few verses is God has only showed up. Maybe you haven't noticed this. God has only showed up one time in this book prior to the end of chapter 2. It was in chapter 1, verse 13, and there it wasn't in a very positive light. He was saying God gives us this unhappy business. So the only time that God's been mentioned so far in this book is when God is giving us unhappy business to be about. Until you get to the end of chapter 2. All of a sudden, God gets mentioned a few times. Sin gets mentioned for the first time. Both of those things will show up much more in the rest of the book. But verses 24 and 25 sound different. Did you notice that when I read it? It sounds a little bit hopeful. In verses 24 and 25, he says this, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? All of a sudden, in verses 24 and 25, God shows up and enjoyment shows up and they're together. That, that the fact that we can actually enjoy simple everyday things like food and drink and our work, that is a gift that comes from the hand of God. The fact that, like, I mean, so, so, so today, one application of this would be 
go enjoy dinner, enjoy a Coke, and hang out with people that you like to be around. That'd be fine. That's good. And enjoy work this week. Those are gifts from the hand of God. That's why we often pray before we eat and just recognize that this food is a gift from God. Thank you for it, God. Right? So find enjoyment in those everyday things that God gives to us. And so you might have walked out last week wondering, okay, so when we talked about like all these things that in the earth give us pleasure, but none of them really do give us lasting pleasure and joy, but fullness of joy and eternal pleasure are found where? In the presence of God, right? Is it okay to, for, to enjoy anything other than the presence of God? Well, yeah. Yes, it is. For sure. And that's what he's talking about here. And the rest of Scripture gives us a number of other ways in which we're seeing that God is our Father. And as a good Father, He is a God that gives us good gifts. Right? And God gives us good gifts to enjoy. We would expect that as a good Father giving us good gifts, He would expect us to enjoy the good gifts that He gives to us. But here's what I want to know. How do we hold all these truths together? Because on the one hand, you've got the author of Ecclesiastes saying, I hate life, I hate work. And then on the other hand, he's saying, but God given us things like food and drink and work to enjoy. So we should enjoy them. There's nothing better than that. How do you hold that together? That's what I'll look at next. The preacher in Ecclesiastes hits the nail on the head when it comes to death. Foolish people die, wise people die, he says. And we could put lots of different categories and say the same thing, right? That rich people die, true. Poor people die, true. Right? Good people die, true. Bad people die, true. Famous people die, unknown people die, true. There's a guy who died just last week. His name was Danny Hamilton. Uh, he lived in Tiberry, Kentucky, was a disabled steel worker. Probably had a funeral sometime this week. Probably some people showed up. You probably didn't hear about it. Most people probably didn't hear about it. Another guy died this week. I don't know what, what Danny uh, accomplished in his life. Another guy that died this week that accomplished a lot in a worldly sense in his life. He had seven Grammys. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, and when he died, it was all over social media and stadiums turned things purple. And his songs are playing all over the place when Prince died this week, but the reality is Prince and Danny Hamilton are both dead, and neither of them took anything that they attained in their life with them. You don't get to take Grammy Awards with you wherever you're going, right? And so he was right in saying that all these things end in death. Wherever you're coming from in life, it's going to end in death. And so we've got to somehow think of all these things in light of that. I was thinking about how do we see this through the lens of the gospel, and here's what I was thinking. We worship a God who sent His Son to come and experience life under the sun, just like us. That we worship a God who sent His Son to take on human flesh, and He has experienced all of the temptations, and the trials and the troubles and the toil that we have experienced. He understands it. And then one of the cruelest acts of all cruel acts that took place under the sun was that He was nailed to a cross. And He experienced death. 
this was God's plan all along. That he would die the death that we deserve to die, but that God would then raise him from the dead with power over sin and death. And because of this, while our struggles may be very similar to the preachers, you might look at life some days and look at work some days and say, I hate it. We can live with great hope because Jesus is coming again. And that we will experience death, but it will not be eternal death for all who are in Christ. The reality is this, that I'm going to die, you're going to die, we're all going to die, and none of us will take anything with us. Two things that I think we should keep in mind, and I'll close with these. Well, I'm not going to quite close. We're going to read a poem at the end, too. Two things that I think we need to keep in mind. You should never say the word close when you're speaking in front of people because they get excited. Uh, Here's this. You're going to work in your life, and you are going to attain things. You are going to acquire things. You're going to acquire things, and you're going to acquire wealth. You're going to spend your life building something. Maybe it's building a family. Maybe it's building a business. Maybe it's building a farm. You're going to build something. But Scripture tells us that we begin to treasure what it is that we invest our money in. That our hearts begin to treasure what we begin to invest ourselves in. And when, as American Christians, we are wealthy and we can get all sorts of stuff for ourselves, there is a lot of temptation that comes with this. And we need to recognize it. Even if you're one of the few Christians who actually tithes, if you actually give 10% of your income, we need to recognize that that means we're still spending 90% of it on ourselves, typically. Right? And there is this real temptation and this real threat that comes with spending most of what we earn on ourselves because of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we as Christians would commit ourselves to more generously and gladly give more of what we have for the sake of the advance of the gospel around the world, our hearts would all of a sudden become a little more engaged in the mission of the gospel going around the world. Our hearts often follow where we put our money. Our tre- we treasure where we put our treasures. Second thing is this. Get engaged in gospel work that's not in vain. You might have this feeling that all the work that you're doing is in vain, but there is one type of work that Scripture tells us about that is not in vain. In in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul has just spent this whole chapter laying out the fact, the reality that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and we have all sorts of hope in our future resurrection because Jesus has been raised from the dead. And he ends that chapter with this verse. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Labor vain, that's the same words that we saw used in Ecclesiastes. He's regretting that so much of his labor is in vain, and Paul is saying, if you would spend your life letting people know of the power of the risen Savior, That kind of work is never 
in vain. It's good to hear. I'm going to read a poem to close here in just a moment. It's a poem written by a guy named C.T. Studd. He was an athlete and missionary. Started the Heart of Africa mission, which is still going today. Now it's called uh, WEC International. Uh, Unique guy. He got an inheritance from his dad at one point in his life and gave it all away. And he went to China, which is a dangerous place to go and be a missionary, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what he said. Maybe you've heard this quote before. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. I'm going to read to you a poem that this man wrote that I think uh, maybe you've heard a couple of lines from it before. These are a couple of lines that will be repeated in the poem. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Work and wise living can seem meaningless. It is not the poem yet. Work and wise living can seem meaningless. But if our work and our lives are focused on knowing Jesus and making Him known, that's the kind of thing that will give real meaning to life, and that's the kind of thing that will last. Let me read this poem to close. He says this, Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before His judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its plays I must fulfill, living for self or in His will, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow thy word to keep, faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Two verses left. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing me pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And the final verse, only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know that I'll say, was worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it would be easy for us to be just like everybody else.
spending our days, spending our lives seeking after, chasing after all the things that everybody else is seeking after, seeking satisfaction in all the things that it seems like everybody else is being satisfied by. God, I pray that you would help us to live with an eternal perspective, help us to live with a recognition that what the author of Ecclesiastes said is true, that in the end we're all going to die and we're not taking any of it with us. And so, God, would you help us to be the kind of people who would deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow you, that we would not try to gain the whole world and in the process forfeit our souls. Would you help us to be people that do not store up for ourselves treasures on earth where all sorts of stuff could happen to it, but that we would instead store up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break up and steal. Would you help us to invest our money in such a way that our tre- the treasure of our heart would, would be Christ and his work rather than ourselves in what we want? Would you help us to be engaged always in works, the work of the Lord, to make it known that He is Lord and that that work would not be in vain. God, I thank You that You have given us Christ. Thank You for the gift of salvation that comes in Him, that we will spend eternity joyfully knowing and worshiping Him. It is a gift only comes by your grace. For those that are here this morning that haven't experienced that and they're still chasing after a number of other things, God, I pray that today you would convict them and in their hearts they would turn from sin and trust in Jesus. For all of us, we're headed at one point on a road to hell. Maybe it was smooth. Maybe it seemed good at the time. But God, I thank you for your grace in my life for turning my heart giving me new life through faith in Christ. Pray that that would fuel us as we go out today. In Jesus' name, amen. As the worship team wants to come up, we'll close by singing a song together that confesses that in this life, there's a lot of stuff we can have, but all we really have is Christ. And so let's go ahead and stand and sing this closing song together.